0: How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, many, many ways for getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. You can use the smartphone podcast app, whichever one you you prefer. Uh, iTunes is always there for you, of course, or you can turn us on every Friday on the radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra on DAB. Uh, joining me as always is the editor of Tech Central, Niall Kitson. Niall, lots happening uh, and uh, I think possibly the the big story of the week is Twitter are threatening once again to do something which I think is going to destroy their brand.
1: I think it's a pretty sad reflection when we put this as the top story of our week, really. I mean, how, how do you follow the iPhone 7 from last week? How do you follow all that, that passion, <laughs> you know, that rage that you were displaying that w- we now have to talk about Twitter? You know, what, what a sad indictment of our times. Uh, but I guess for those that are interested.
0: Listen, when, you, when, when you say to, to people about Twitter, so what is Twitter? And the golden rule on Twitter is what?
1: Well, the whole point of Twitter is that you're limited, uh, in what you can say, to 140 characters. That is it. That was a blanket rule. 140 characters in the little box. Post it. That's it.
0: Exactly. OK, so now that is the very core and the very essence of what Twitter is. And they're about to do what? What?
1: Well, it looks like they're about to change the rules. Um, Now, it was reported a few months ago in some places that Twitter was going to do away with the length of tweet rule completely, which meant that you could potentially copy and paste entire articles into tweets, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, But it looks like we're going to get a slightly interesting compromise, right? In that they're going to take things that count against your current word count but really doesn't help to uh, and make sure they don't count against your your character count, right? So, for example, if you um, start a, a, a direct reply to somebody like, you know, I might say, gosh, the iPhone 7 is brilliant and you would tweet, at Nile Kitson hasn't a clue what he's on about, as usual. Um, that at Nile Kitson bit still goes towards your character count, Whereas under the new system, which apparently could be released next week, it wouldn't. So I think that makes sense. That's that's fine.
0: Uh, I think that's... So what you're saying is is that the 140 character limit stays. However, they won't include stuff like at Niall Kitson. Um, what about links or, or links to photos or to other media or YouTube videos or whatever?
1: Uh, to other media anyway, to images, GIFs and videos, it won't count against... Um, your character count which is great i don't know about actual links themselves the way that you know on on our tech central twitter feed we would post you know the headline and a link to a story i don't know if that's going to change um maybe because it, it kind of leaves you open to hashtag stuffing you know if you've only used up 40 characters on a clickbaity headline and you've got a couple of lines underneath it like why wouldn't you hashtag it to bits
0: uh, I don't know I, I like that that's not too bad because I thought what you were going to say was they were going to ditch the uh, the 140 character limit altogether and then suddenly you could put entire essays of 10,000 words or something yeah like that. And,
1: and nobody cares about that that's the whole point of Twitter it's, is that it's a succinct gnawing away at the lost art of conversation basically you can construct your own echo chamber and shout at people that's what Twitter is <laughs> and abuse them <laughs> anonymously if you so wish
0: I am so signing you up for a job as marketing with Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. Well, listen, I like that. We have an official announcement from Twitter and what the exact rules are going to be when?
1: Uh, Probably next week.
0: Next week. OK, Grant. Now, the other big story of the week has been the uh, the EU. Now, normally the EU, to me, do some really, really good stuff. And one of the things that I've been very impressed with over the last couple of years is their digital policy and their policy when it comes to mobile phones and charges and specifically roaming, because we all go across. I mean, this continent is not that big and we all travel from country to country and get completely fleeced. The EU have been busy doing something about it, but this week it all came crashing to it an end
1: well uh, it didn't it didn't the the big thing under the EU's digital um, single market is the idea that we're going to take away all the barriers to e-commerce and central to that are roaming charges because as you say yourself Europe is not a huge landmass the EU on its own isn't a huge landmass and roaming charges therefore feel kind of arbitrary and and unnecessary and just sort of a cash cow for mobile operators really So what they want to do is by 2017 to do away with roaming charges completely. And uh, as a stepping stone, what was going to be introduced was a 90 day limit on roaming charges at the moment up to, and this is sort of a little interesting clause, I guess you might say, 30 consecutive days, right? So you've got 90 days free roaming around the EU with 30 consecutive days is your real allowance. So if you were to go on holidays three times at 30 days a pop or, you know, 10 times at three days a pop, there you go. That's that's how it, it sort of works. The idea is that nobody spends more than 30 days at a go on holidays or on a business trip or anything like that. So it's it's almost an arbitrary line in the sand. Mm. I think it's a load of nonsense. Thankfully, Jean-Claude Juncker came back from his trip to China and went, you know what? This is kind of a load of nonsense. We need a, a better stepping stone. So pretty much, I think the, it was up for debate, I think, last week, this week. And he basically ripped up the directive and said, no, this, this isn't going to work. So the timetable for 2017 is still in place. But this sort of stepstone period, mm. um, there, there doesn't seem to be a plan. Does there need to be a plan?
0: Of course, there needs to be a plan because uh, people need to work to and get it all set up and you need your customers to know and the, and the mobile companies need to have their accounting in place. My understanding of it was, because this kind of came as a bit of a hmm to me, the way we've been reporting it over the last two, three years, is that initially there was going to be a, uh, the charges were going to be greatly reduced, which is where we are now. And I'll tell you about this in a second because it's actually quite good. And if it stayed that way, I think I'd be happy. Um... Whereas, uh, and then after a greatly reduced charge, then in 2017, there would be no roaming and that's it. And I like that, you know, a nice, simple concept. No roaming once you're within the EU. Done. All right. None of this. Then, then they came in with this 90 days over a year, 30 days maximum limit and anyone goes, uh, where did this all come from? And my understanding is that uh, the mobile companies, quite rightly, I suppose, because they have to look after their own interests, went into the EU and lobbied hard and as a result of their lobbying there was kind of a little bit of a a, a, a thing for the mobile companies where they could have 90 days and a 30-day limit and stuff like that. They should just stick with the plan which is no roaming rules at all.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's completely antithetical to what Europe want to achieve anyway. But what's interesting is I do, maybe it's not interesting I mean we're, that they they're, they haven't um, split data apart from calls and texts still when they're talking about roaming you know they're, they're not even throwing the EU a bone and saying look we'll we'll apply this to data roaming rates or just mm. just voice or just text you know because if you were to say let's just do it with text nobody would notice
0: <gasps> nobody's using text anymore they're all on WhatsApp or whatever yeah Nobody would notice. So just mm. just do
1: that. Just give them something.
0: Well, listen, if you do have, I actually quite like the system at the moment because the system at the moment is something along the lines of if you are roaming, you will pay something like one cent over what you normally pay at home per minute. And that's
1: it. OK, well, that's not awful.
0: Okay? Well, that's not awful. OK, so if you're paying, say, 25 cent a minute on a pay as you go phone or something like that, it'll cost you 26 pence. Uh, when you're roaming. However, if you're on one of those 30-day plans where you get f- unlimited free calls, well, then the, the price is zero every time you make a call, which means that when you're roaming, it'll be zero plus one cent per minute.
1: I was about to ask you about that because a lot of those deals, you know, um, like uh, free three to three calls, that sort of thing, they, it's almost a contrivance. You, you get the sense that there is an actual value associated with calls, say, from three to Vodafone or three to Air, So Mm. it's actually the three to three price plus one cent that you pay. That's it, yes. Okay, right. So you basically take the lowest tariff applicable at that time Mm. plus one cent.
0: Which is where I think uh, is where you get with roaming. that That could be the give back to the companies. It could be, okay, well, look, you know, it's whatever they normally pay plus one cent. Okay. Or five cent even, whatever it happens to be. Because I generally find when I am roaming, I don't use the phone half as much anyway. Yeah, I think a little bit of paranoia kind of kicks in. Yeah, Uh, a little bit. But also, you're not calling people at home because you're not at home. And then you're not calling people in the country you're visiting because you only know two or three people (laughs) and you're generally with them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, um, if you want to um, uh, check your email or something, you're using Wi-Fi in a cafe, so...
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. So uh, anyway, we we'll wait and see what the EU comes back with. I do hope that they go with the uh, uh, the free roaming across the EU because more than anything else, I I'm a, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm a bit of a European. I think we should be able to travel from country to country within the EU and just operate exactly as if you were at home. You can do this in America. Why can't you do it in the EU? That's the way I look at it. Uh, one other quick story. The, uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency. Whoops a daisy. Somebody's been paying them a visit.
1: Uh, Yeah, it looks like those um, happy hackers, (laughs) the Fancy Bears, who have been at it again now. Fancy Bears, apparently, they're a hacker collective based in Russia. Uh, Take from that what you will. And they have hacked the um, database of the World Anti-Doping Association. Uh, As we know, Russia had uh, a very tired time over the last Olympics and the Paralympics, uh, indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, they had an awful lot of their athletes barred from the Olympics. Or rather, they had athletes barred from the Olympics on an association-by-association basis. So, if the, you know, if, um, say, the World Track and Field Association said, it's okay, you can com- compete in our games, that's fine, they could go to the Olympics and compete there. Uh, it was done on a, a sports-by-sports basis. So, um, apparently... Uh, the website was hacked, and a lot of medical records held on uh, athletes were made public. Um, this includes uh, gymnast Simone Biles, who uh, you might remember, I, mean, I think she's only like 15. Um, younger I think even 14, 15 young gymnast Mm -hmm. and uh, she has ADHD and of course you know her records were spilled and it emerged that oh she was on this medication it's a banned substance and she took to Twitter to defend herself and said I have ADHD and I've taken medicine for it since I was a kid Please know I believe in clean sport, have always followed the rules and will continue to do so, as fair play is critical to a sport and is very important to me. Um, I believe one of, the, one of the Williams sisters was also involved, technically taking a banned substance, but under, subs- uh, under supervision to make sure that it had no actual performance enhancing effects.
0: Do you know what all this kind of strikes in the back of my head? What? Why? We're always asked for information by companies and organisations and government, and we're rest assured your information is safe. We will not share it with anybody. Now, you would think somebody like the World Anti-Doping Agency would have pretty secure system for keeping private confidential records of people that they test, and yet they've been hacked. I mean, and and then you look at Dropbox. Yeah, but that's the difference between saying... Yeah. Well, that's the difference between uh,
1: saying... Uh, companies saying we will never share your records as a matter of policy and hackers coming in and wrecking whatever weak security measures were in place that you know there, there is an element of hubris in there
0: you feel safe giving people records, um, but they could be released there. So I'm just always kind of careful about what the information that I, uh, that I give across. There's so much false information out there about me, false dates. I've been born uh, in 1901, 1952, uh, and uh, and 2006. I was born once as well. So, <laughs> oh, <right. Anyway. laughs> listen. There we go. That's the news for this week. Thank you, now <laughs> This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Wow. We've talked a bit about design thinking on the show and the way that it can change how we create products and the way we interact with websites. Well, the same kind of thinking can be applied to how we deal with systems and services. This week saw an event take place at the NDRC called Pixels to Policy, where the principles of user experience and design thinking were applied to a real-life project. To find out more about it, Nile went and met with the event organiser, John Buckley of UX Consultancy Frontend.
1: The situation in Syria has put the issue of migration front and centre uh, in our news meeting in, in the last year or so, and part of that story is the way in which countries are struggling to cope with the actual numbers of refugees entering their countries and the sort of pressure that is going to be put, putting uh, on their national infrastructure. Uh, so Pixels to Policy is an event that is looking to tackle some of the issues around um, migration and how. Countries can adapt to sudden influxes of people, and I'm here with the, one of the organisers of the event, John Buckley from Frontend. Um, so, John, just introduce the idea of the event for us, Pixels to Policy.
2: Well, essentially, uh, design has always been considered, um, or at least in the Irish context, has been considered a, an afterthought in terms of of product design. What we see now in terms of product design, especially in IT, is that design is very much involved in figuring out all the systems problems that that one may find in that solution, in that situation. And that's kind of where we are right now. UX, UX as an industry, and design is really starting to be involved in product. And the future of UX and service design is actually now looking beyond just products and actually into changing social social justice issues, policy issues. And so Pixels of Policy is really an exploration of design and how designers can, can influence policy. So I think that
1: that um, idea still persists that you know design is exclusively down to you know rounded corners or color schemes or that sort of thing, and not so much with the user's experience or the user's uh, interaction with a product. Uh, to what extent do you think that philosophy has seeped its way from, say, industrial design into technology? Are the two areas growing up together, or is UX still sort of the little brother?
2: Um, in terms of, in terms of, well, I mean. UX is definitely the little brother. It's 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 a new industry, um, and it's adapting. And, and Design thinking as a philosophy really isn't anything new. We've seen it in product design for for for, for many many years. Uh, but what's funny is that now that we've adapted it in the IT sector, that actually that's where it's growing its legs, and that's where we're seeing it uh, kind of become this buzz term. But actually, design thinking has is essentially has been around for a long time. The idea of looking at the needs um, just beyond you know, the requirements, um, and how the user could interact with the product. or yeah, that's, That was always very important in industrial design because obviously you need to sell the product and trying to get people to buy it uh, meant that you had to have um, buy-in. So with Pixels policy
1: in particular, you're looking at issues surrounding the healthcare services. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: So Frontend has been working with the IOMs, the World Body for Migration, for the past uh, number of months, looking at the area of, of healthcare, um, so the IOM actually they have a lot of remit, but one of those uh, kind of that we don't hear too much about is, is healthcare and healthcare provisions. Obviously, as we know, just like in Ireland, healthcare are usually um, defined by the system, and so populations and, and citizens have easy access, uh, in theory, easy access to healthcare but actually those outside the system find it quite difficult. So when we travel, we, we, we buy travel insurance uh, from, from VHI or whoever, and that kind of is a buy-in to a system somewhere else. But we're seeing um, displaced people at a, at a rate that we've never seen before uh, need to have access to healthcare for a variety of reasons, and obviously they're outside that system. And so it's up to the IOM and organizations like them to provide that health care. And the, the challenges they face are are, are are incredibly interesting because they're trying to provide um, healthcare, which no country in the world has really figured out how to do with a with a, with a population where they understand and, and they know. Um, but they're trying to provide that healthcare across many jurisdictions, and they're trying to provide it in some cases where people are actually moving. Um, and so we've had some very interesting case studies. We, we're seeing, especially in the European context. We're seeing where patients may arrive at a campsite in in, in Greece or Turkey, um, but they're really eager to move on and they may have a very, very uh, urgent need for testing and for healthcare provisions but because they're so so eager to move and to keep continuing their journey that they actually may not be around either, they won't take the test because they won't be around for the results, or they take the test and they move on and the results are are, are wasted because it may take a few days for those results to come back.
1: So what you're kind of looking at is finding sort of a common um, structure for entry and sort of an easy service that you can navigate your way through across borders. Is that the kind of problem that presented itself?
2: Yeah, there was, there was a number of problems. I mean, there's such, it's, it's an area that, and when we look at, and one of the things that's quite interesting at this event and that we're going to see and talk about today is is the fact that organizations like the IOM, they're very lean and they don't have any time for creative problem solving. And so the issues that we've been addressing, um, the solutions that we've come to, actually, you know, they're, they're quite obvious solutions, but there was just no real impetus to, to engage with them and to and to um, and to make them happen. And so, by injecting design thinking, uh, we were kind of moving uh, the dial, I guess, in, in the IOM to start actually providing care. And and it's as you said, it's 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 for for the situations that we have in Europe, but actually. Um, We're focusing not just on the the patients, but also on how we can help the IOM provide better healthcare, how we can provide quicker healthcare, uh, how we can provide it across uh, different jurisdictions, um, and how we can really like one of these major um, things that has come out of this project has been a labeling design. Seems very simple, but actually, when medicines are handed out in emergency healthcare situations, whether they're whether they're um, migrant situations or they're you know a hurricane Red Cross type situation. the medicines are often handed out in uh, uh, Ziploc bags without any identification, and so or our, our, you know standardized system for for labelling them. And the medicines themselves between organisations change in form. So where you might receive a white circular pill one day, you might get a yellow uh, ovular pill the next, and so there's no continuity there. And so what we've been doing with the IOM is looking at a label which is kind of graphically. Uh, describes the key messages with the medicine and, and that, that can actually be rolled out not just with the IOM but they're looking at bringing that to the World Health Organization as a standard across all, all health organizations in providing emergency health care. So we're having huge wins out of what it was actually just the conceptual uh, engagement has now turned into providing you know, potentially very impactful change. And some of the solutions, I mean, it really can be as simple as just harmonizing
1: how something looks or the color on something. Are you finding more and more of these things as the project progressed that you'd be like, this actually just requires a tweak and all of a sudden you get this nice little domino effect?
2: Yeah, and, and what we kind of take for granted sometimes is the, the idea of paradigms. And paradigms essentially just means that it's, it's, uh, things stay the same. So a paradigm uh, in this situation is that we have, if we can create a singular paradigm where medicine labeling for emergency situations looks the same across organizations, across countries, that means that a patient receiving the same care in different places can actually recognize that. And that has a huge, powerful uh, potential to reduce anxieties and uncertainties. Um, and with graphical labelings, uh, as well as just creating a standard, you're also providing more context and more information to those patients who may not have you know, literacy issues or language issues, and so they need kind of all the help they can receive.
1: Uh, one of the interesting things about uh, Pixel's policy that I've noticed is um, there seems to be quite a lot of buy-in from, uh, from third-level institutions. And uh, Specifically, I think you've got uh, UL, Trinity, NCAD, IT Carlo, quite quite a spread of institutions with, ve- with very different perspectives. Like, I wouldn't have put NCAD immediately in sort of with a, with a project like this side-by-side with Trinity. So can you tell me a little bit about the extent of buy-in uh, there was from the other institutions and how hard was it to actually Sell the idea of look. You've got expertise here. Um, it's actually kind of interesting uh, way to apply it.
2: This wasn't it wasn't difficult at all. Um, for Frontend has been on the go advocating for UX since 1998, and as part of that, we've largely been lobbying for for education facilities to start providing UX courses. And this year, we're starting to see the the fruit of that. And so as a company, it's up to us to really respond to that. And so that is largely where the idea for this, this collaboration came from. Uh, to engage students and to engage the colleges, and so we, we had a national tour. We visited all these uh, the four colleges that we mentioned um, we, we engaged with the students there, we then opened up applications to a boot camp to invite them to come to to front end so we ended up We had applications from uh, Europe, obviously, but also North America, South America, students from uh, India and China. And, and, and that was an amazing three-day intensive boot camp. where They're working for like 30 hours. Uh, they, they were fed in, in the premises. They almost slept on the premises. Um, and what happened there was that we just had this great uh, confluence of different perspectives. Obviously, it's the first time that they'd engage with students from different backgrounds. All had, had some experience of UX, but actually the colleges are teaching it in slightly different ways. And it was interesting to see how those um, how those came together and actually the synergies that were provided uh, was was phenomenal it was a great great event and the colleges have just been the students have been amazing they're also, they're here today as well and uh, I guess
1: based on this project have you learned something to the expect that look any sort of government run system can benefit from design thinking so we've had a look at migration and healthcare um what else do you think is is Ripe for
2: the the picking, I guess. That's a leading question, really, isn't it? Um, I think, though, if you look at services uh, in terms of in terms of what. Well, in terms of anything we do, I think we should always focus on who's going to be in, in, you know, using the system or using the service and try and figure out how we can design it around that person. Um, and that doesn't just mean the, the citizen. That also means the, the, the public service health worker or, or whoever it may be, um, and trying to get all the different perspectives and make sure that we tick all the boxes. Uh, what we often do, uh, especially when we create policy, is that we kind of, we, we come to a conclusion pretty quickly, and we, we, we just hammer that down and I think we see with like Irish water and things like that well necessarily it was probably uh, you know it was a Euro- European directive and it was you know a, a, something that you know probably needed to be done in some form the rollout of that was had no sense of of user uh Experience they, it was an absolute disaster in the way it was rolled out, um, and so had they engaged had they engaged with design thinking, user experience design, you know something that that could have actually been you know figured out in a, in a more uh, you know, accepting way. Do you think sort of, the design of service then really impacts the
1: public perception of it?
2: Yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean the design of, of anything uh, does that. So if you have a good product um, and you manage to have a, a bad. Uh, public perception you're doing something very wrong to your communications team or something else i mean usually people get frustrated by products and um, be the restaurant or or physical products uh, because the service is quite poor and do you think now that we, we have this increasing
1: awareness of design thinking that um it's just going to become integrated into pretty much how every business how every product is developed that it's it's just going to become you will have the developer and beside him you'll have the ux guy or the design guy and they will just coexist
2: uh, I think in terms of technology that we're, we're already there uh, largely. Um, obviously, smaller startups uh, can't afford that, but I think the, the basis is that like that is the way to go. Um, and I think we're going to see that more and more in services, and we're going to see it more and more in in products, probably more at the higher end. Um, so they're going to invest in in differentiating their product and in creating the best product experience possible, uh, while others will obviously still chase price. And you know that's two different markets. And I think we're probably going to see a bit more of design thinking in those kind of high end. Products. And I guess just to finish on healthcare, have you come across any
1: lessons for Ireland's system, um, ha- having looked at a potentially international solution?
2: So when you're looking at international solutions, you actually look with li- very um, lightweight solutions because they need to work across different borders and, and boundaries and actually integrating in a deep way is very tough. So we haven't um, had deep learnings that maybe like eHealth have found and eHealth is the HSE arm that are looking at bringing out an EHR electronic health record system into Ireland but um, I, I think the, the, everyone is in agreement that we need to have an electronic health record um, that's obviously a part of this uh, component of this uh, collaboration that we've, we've come up with IOM and so if we can have that uh, providing a basic level of healthcare for migrants around the world It'd be shocking, shame if we couldn't have something similar, uh, where a doctor could talk to, a, you know, a doctor in Dublin could talk to a, a GP in in Offaly.
0: And that was Niall Kitson talking to event organiser John Buckley of UX Consultancy Front End. Niall, just before we go, what is our one more thing for this week? One story that's online on the website we couldn't squeeze into the show.
1: Yeah, well, Swatch and Apple have been to court in the UK and that's as much as I'm going to say about the story because it's up arr, on techcentral.ie.
0: Arr, arr, who got in there first, answer at techcentral.ie along with all the Irish tech news. Uh, you'll also get hourly updates, daily newsletters and more if you want to sign up for. Them. Uh, you also get our Tech Radio show online every Friday, of course, at 6pm and on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X. next week, for myself, Dusty, and from Nile Tech Central HQ, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central